Hello and welcome to Shootside. I'm your host, Ferris Simon. It's good to have you guys back. And today we're going to switch things up just a little bit. Uh, it's sales season out here in California as it is uh, throughout the Midwest, if you couldn't tell by getting on social media. So it's been a little bit challenging uh, getting some guests scheduled, really, and it's part my fault too, picking a time that works both for me and for them uh, in the heat of sales season while people are traveling around, they have uh, visitors showing up to their farms and things like that. It's been a little bit of a challenge. So today we're going to try something different. I did have one person and only one person tell me that they wanted to hear me talk more. So for that person, this episode's for you. And this time of year, a lot of us are starting to, a lot of us are producers are starting to preg check our cows. And we are either fist pumping and excited about some of the matings and things we have coming next year and patting ourselves on the back for a job well done. Or uh, some of us are getting ready to cry. And I've been in both of those situations uh, where you have just an exceptional breed up and then where you just get kicked straight in the mouth. And today I want to share some anecdotes and some stories about different experiences I've had with getting cows bred up. And this is a request we've gotten quite a bit. And and we're going to primarily focus today on embryo transfer and things like that. And again, I don't have an expert on here today. I'm going to explain to you what I've done and what's worked for me, what hasn't worked for me, and some feedback that I've gotten. But we get a lot of requests to talk about ET work and stuff like that. But it's such a multifaceted topic. There's so many different avenues and ways to do it. My idea is that this discussion that I'll be having with you today is going to more or less lay the bedrock or be the foundation for multiple discussions on down the road between now and the start of breeding season where we will get people, uh, various people on to kind of drill down into more specific items that we will cover today. So let's get right into it. So like we said in the intro, uh, this is a wide ranging topic. So I'm going to kind of cover most of this stuff on a broad overview and give you some ideas. And then as we wrap up, we're really going to talk more about uh, what I've experienced with putting embryos in at your own place in your own cows. But not all of us do it that way and not all of it, it's not feasible for all of us to do it that way. So I'm going to talk about a couple different programs that I've done and experienced and I know people that have experienced. And these are the kinds of topics that we're going to get some folks on uh, later on, not today in the show, but at a later date to talk about. So one really popular way to get embryo calves on the ground and this is one, this is actually the first way I ever did it was these calf wean programs. So if you're not familiar with what a calf wean program is, you're going to send your embryos to an outfit. They're going to implant those embryos in their cows on a specified date. You're going to say, hey, I want a March 1st calf or whatever. Normally, sometimes they have predetermined dates and you, you pick slots. But anyway, you put these embryos in these cows uh, that aren't yours and then at weaning time, you will buy those cattle back, those calves back, I should say, for normally a a predetermined amount or some sort of predetermined premium over market price. So let's say, you know, for round numbers, let's say uh, sale barn cattle are worth uh, 100, 100 weight, maybe you're giving them a dollar, you know, 110, uh, 100 weight or something like that. So I haven't done this in a long time. And there are a lot of really good firms out there. 
based on my experience, I think the most important things that you need to consider when entering into one of these programs is to truly ensure that whoever's place you're putting those embryos in, that they're going to treat those cattle like you would treat those cattle. And the reason I say that is, without a doubt, those calves, those embryos are probably worth more to you than they are to this program. And I don't mean that in in a slight sense, but let's face it, if you're putting in, uh, let's say you're an Angus producer and you're putting in some first class embryos or, you know, as a club cat producer, I'm putting in, you know, 219 embryos or something like that, which is uh, the donor cow that rings the bell around here for us quite a bit. That calf's likely worth a lot more to me than he is, you know, $1,200 or $1,000 when I buy him back. So you need to ensure and ask the right questions to these calf wean programs of what's your nutrition plan? What's your health protocols? How do you guys calve them? What's that facility look like? How are you going to treat these cattle and really become comfortable with their program and have them explain to you how they go about it and really find a program that fits? I don't say that in a sense of, there's not good programs out there. There's several good ones out there uh, of firms out there that do this well. And then we hope to get some of them on the show soon to kind of explain those types of things, but don't be afraid to ask questions, really ask them the questions that are important to you to make sure that when you get this calf back, when you get this embryo calf back, which should be the highest dollar generating animal or some of the highest dollar generating animals Uh, that you have on the ground during sales season, that they're not behind, that they're not sick, and that they've actually been preconditioned in a way uh, for not only the health of the animal, but for financial success as well. The big advantage of calf wean programs is that if you have a restriction on land space or you just don't, you know, you don't have enough land to run a volume of cows, this is a good way to get additional embryo calves on the ground without expanding your land footprint or having to buy more ground or run more cows. Maybe you're at your limit in terms of what you're capable of running. So in those situations, if you can't buy more cows, don't want to buy more cows, don't want to buy more land, and you're limited, like some of these uh, areas in the Midwest where it's really good corn ground, land can be pretty expensive. You know, these calf wean programs and stuff like that really do a good job at solving that problem. But again, Make sure you ask questions. Make sure you get comfortable with whoever you are going to be doing business with. Just that way, purely for the simple reason, and that way there's no surprises when you come back and pick those calves up. You know exactly what you're going to get. Another popular thing that people seem to be doing right now is buying pregnancies back. What those are is you'll be sending your pregnancies off to a different outfit. They'll be implanting those embryos in their recips. And then you're going to buy those pregnancies back at normally 90 to 100 days. And this works really good that if you have the additional ground or grass or feed, forage, whatever you want to call it available, and you can take in more cattle, that you can actually just buy back only cows that have embryo pregnancies. And that's really good when you consider that on conventional embryos, frozen conventional embryos, you're probably only going to stick 60% of those cows. If you do some fresh transfer, you're probably looking at 70. If you do all the other things right, which we're going to get into, you know, you're going to have 30 or 40% either open cows or bull bred cows, and you don't want to have that extra carrying capacity there. 
makes good sense to go ahead and buy some some pregnancies back um, and let someone else do the hard work. The things you need to consider on the downside, or I shouldn't, the things that you need to consider in this situation, and I haven't done a lot of this where I buy these pregnancies, one or two here and there, is you need to ask whoever you're doing business with the same questions that you're going to be asking these uh, guys that do these calf buybacks. What's your herd health uh, protocol? You know, have you tested these cattle for yonis? Uh, are they PI negative? What are the ages of these recips? A big one really for both of them is what kind of conception rate can I expect? What, you know, historically, what has your conception rate been about around there? Because let's say you send 20 embryos off to someone, it would be a nightmare if you only got four or five pregnancies or ran a 20%, which would be about a 20% conception rate. I think it's very important that you ask these firms and get comfortable with them with their standards, methods, and procedures on how they operate and get comfortable with that. What's your nutrition plan? When are these cattle going to get here? How, you know, all those types of questions. But again, buying these pregnancies back can be a very good way to get only embryo pregnancies, but make sure you're comfortable with the kind of cattle you will be getting back and bringing into your herd because they will be commingling with the rest of yours. So it's important to know what you're getting into. Now let's talk about those of us, myself included, and this is probably where I have the most knowledge um, and experience is we're putting embryos in our own cows. And I get this question sometimes from the people uh, I deal with out here, some of these young producers that are getting started. If you've listened to my you know, intro episode or whatever, I've kind of seen a lot and I've learned a lot of different ways. And getting cows bred via em embryo transfer, I learned a lot by messing a lot of stuff up. So I'm going to share to you, with you what I've learned over the years, both from experience as well as what I've had uh, other people teach me and explain to me to make me achieve a lot higher uh, embryo conception rates over the years. To me, it's a four-part question that you need to answer and four disciplines, I should say, that you need to do right. Uh, initially, the first one we're going to talk about is the cow nutrition and their body condition score. So if you're not familiar with body condition scores, because I'm going to talk about BCS scores a little bit here in the next couple minutes, pause this episode, hop on Google, just Google body condition scores and you'll understand uh, what I'm talking about. So body condition scores really start at calving. And there's a lot of research out there that says your cow should be like a five and a half or six BCS when they calve. And as we all know, after a cow calf, she's going to lose some weight, not only the calf weight, but she's, you know, early lactation, they're generating a lot of milk and burning a lot of energy to do that. So they're going to generally lose some weight, get down to about a four, four and a half uh, body condition score. And leading up to the time that you're going to breed these cattle after they have that first month where they're losing weight over the next 30 to 60 days, but depending on how aggressive you are going to be with your breed back, because 90 days post calving is going to be uh, where you would keep them on their 365 day calving interval. But if we're trying to move cattle up, you're looking at 50, 60 days probably post calving that you're going to start transferring embryos. It's important that you have these cows on an upswing in terms of nutrition and an upswing on their gain. Around here, I've found that that plain 
doesn't need to be super, super steep, and it doesn't need to be level. So what I mean by that is I like to manage my cows where they're gaining anywhere from a quarter to a half of a body condition score per month with the ideal goal that when I'm breeding back those cows, they're somewhere between a five and a six body condition score. You don't want them really fat. You dang sure don't want them thin, but they need to be on an upswing. So out here on our spring calves, our spring calving cows, we're blessed that in around end of April or May, we start breeding our heifers at the end of April, mid to the end of April, and we start breeding our cows the first of May. We still have green grass and it's pretty strong. So there's not really a whole lot of management involved with getting them to do that. Our fall program, we don't have grass and we're running those cows on a feed wagon. Now, what I've learned is that the one of the most important things, and we heard John DeClerc talk about this uh, in a previous episode on the nutrition one. If you haven't listened to that episode, go back and listen to it, that a lot of the health and the animal's health and general well-being starts in their stomach. So it's very important, and I've had my embryologist tell me this, and I've heard it from other embryologists, that we have those cattle on a consistent feed source. So for example, we have green grass in May. That means we're feeding those cattle the same, you know, essentially grass. We're not switching them around, moving them around, feeding them different stuff, starting them out of the wagon or anything like that. We are, they are on that same feed source for 30 to 60 days leading up to breeding and through breeding if possible. Now the falls, it gets a little tricky and our fall deal is very much similar to what I imagine it would be like in the Midwest for a lot of you folks that don't have grass, not near the cold, but just in terms of forage availability and turning those cattle out on grass. Our fall program, we don't have any grass, so we're calving those cows, we're feeding them with a wagon, and then post-calving, we're feeding them with the, with the wagon too, a, a mixed ration, ground hay, some silage, and things like that. So what I found is Whatever ration you formulate and pick, whether it's hay with a supplement or something with a wagon like we do, or it's a total mixed ration, that those cattle are gaining a quarter to a half of a body condition score leading towards your implant date or your breeding date. Now, a lot of folks want to, the day you put that embryo in, you haul them out to grass because right around the time, November, December, where we're doing some of this fall implant stuff, we're starting to get some grass. If possible, I would suggest to continue to feed those cattle for at least one more cycle to keep that consistency. Anecdotally, here in my program, I find that I get a little bit better conception rates, maybe 5 to 7% when I do it that way. Because a lot of times that early season grass doesn't have the nutritional value or really the dry matter content to really get those cows what they need nutritionally. And on top of that, you're switching up their diet. So that kind of shocks their system and stresses their system just a little bit. So if it's possible, and I know in the Midwest, you guys are dealing with the mud and you're dealing with all that kind of stuff. And I totally understand it. Um, Well, actually, I don't understand it. I don't have to deal with near the mud you guys have to deal with. So that wasn't explained correctly. But what I'm saying is if it's possible and you have a way to feed those cows after your ET day 
for another two to four weeks on the same thing and let them cycle through one time, I think you'll find that you have a little bit better conception rates. Like I said, five to 7% better, which on a hundred embryos, and we heard Rick Fry talk about it, that could be that one that rings the bell. So nutrition is of paramount importance. The second important step for me is having a strong mineral program. And this is another topic that we've covered before here on Shootside and are going to continue to try to hammer home is that you cannot replace a high quality mineral program. And if you haven't listened to that episode, uh, I think it's like the second or third episode we did with Tanner Schmidt from ZimPro. Go listen to that. And I think you need to have a high quality mineral that fits your environment, that has a solid level of organic uh, mineral or whatever they call it, organic mineral in there. Um, there's a lot of different options to wade through. Listen to that episode, get with your local feed dealer or mineral dealer, and really try to figure out what's going to work best for you. On that topic, it's actually kind of funny. Here the other day, uh, a good buddy of mine, Cody Rumpf, called me, and he is a uh, avid listener, allegedly, of Shootside. And he uh, told me that he disagreed a little bit, and I, and I love this. He disagreed. And I, and I like this kind of, uh, I say I love this because I like this kind of feedback and discussion because this is all about generating ideas and figuring out better ways to manage our cattle. But he disagreed with uh, a little bit with the episode I did with my vet, Dr. Taylor, about the use of injectable mineral. You'll see where I'm going with this. But his opinion and his research has showed him that when you inject those cows with uh, mineral, that at you know vaccination time, times of stress, weaning time, it actually bolsters their response to vaccine. It bolsters uh, their system, and he gets better results. And locally, where he's at, uh, the research that he's seen, both on farm and some uh, documents, and I didn't really get into him with what documents he was looking at. He has better results that way, and I can see that, and I understand where he's going, and. That's not what I personally do here, but that works very well for him, and I respect that. At the same time, during that same phone call, we both agreed that you cannot utilize injectable mineral to replace a high-quality, loose mineral program. So it all starts with having good, loose mineral available, and if you want to bolster your herd, with an injectable mineral and you find that works for you, by all means do it. But you cannot use injectable mineral in lieu of having a high quality, readily available mineral source for your cows. And I think if you talk to any cattleman, whether they're an injectable mineral fan or not, they will tell you for success, you have to have a good loose mineral program. I think I mentioned it on a previous episode long time ago when I was first getting started, it was actually Rick Blanchard at Silvera Brothers told me the most important thing you could give these cows to ensure high quality embryo conception rates is a quality mineral program. So to kind of finalize this off, I actually know a gentleman that uh, had some misinformation and he replaced his loose mineral program. He's feeding a really nice loose mineral with like a uh, injectable mineral. The results were not admirable. Let's put it that way. So loose mineral 
a high quality loose mineral is very important to embryo conception rate. The third kind of discipline of this forward part process to me is embryo quality and the skill of your technician that's implanting or collecting these embryos. Now, generally speaking, all of us are going to be using certified embryologists. There's likely, just as any business, some firms that do a better job than others. This goes back to like what we talked about earlier with these pregnancy buybacks and caffeine programs. Let's investigate whoever we're using the same way we would do anything else in life. Like if even if you were going to have uh, a roofer come out to your place, you're going to check some references. You're going to see what kind of work they do. You're going to ask them some questions. But generally speaking, if you're using a certified embryologist, they should be doing a pretty good job of course, there are some better than others, but that is your job to investigate and find you a reputable firm, ask your neighbor, ask people, ask for references. And in terms of embryo quality itself, and I'm not going to dive real deep into it, but you're going to have some differences in conception rate, whether you're using fresh conventional versus frozen conventional embryos, IVF versus conventional, the conventionals, at least in this outfit here, seem like they stick better than the IVFs. And then you are going to have some differences in frozen IVF versus fresh IVF embryos. And we're going to get some more people that understand this better than I do and can actually give us some factual numbers. But depending on what kind of embryos you're implanting is going to have some difference in your conception rate. Um, you know, plus or minus. Additionally, within her, and I had someone else uh, tell me this here the other day, I found that certain matings tend to be a little stickier than other matings for whatever reason. Uh, I don't know why. For example, that 219 donor I referenced earlier, her embryos seem to be very, very sticky. Um, her conception rate on her embryos are substantially better than other uh, than other matings that we put in. I actually have a maternal sib to that cow. Her fresh embryos stick really good. Her frozens are really tough to get stuck. I don't know why that is. I'm not smart enough to explain why that is, but you will see a little bit of that. There are certain cows that just seem like they make stickier embryos than others. Going back to technician skill, again, do vet your vet your professionals. Find out who's gonna you're going to work well with. You know, there's some discussion of, you know, well, this guy uses an ultrasound to find the CL, which the CL determines which side of the uterus you're implanting the embryo, where the CL is located on the ovary or on which ovary the CL is located uh, versus, you know, the guys using ultrasound are better than the guys that just palpate them with their hand. We achieved uh, about 72 and to 73% this year on embryo conception, and my embryologist uses his hand to palpate. I know guys that do very well with ultrasounds, and there's probably people out there that don't do as well with both techniques as well. Again, find someone that you're comfortable with, find someone that delivers good results, and then listen to those professionals because if they're getting good results, there's probably reasons why they do it. The fourth and final segment, and this will be the topic that we speak probably the most amount of time on today is the cow quality that you're putting these embryos in. So this is a concept and a thing that I've really been aggressively trying to improve around here. And I think 
sometimes we don't, sometimes I think we don't, we aren't diligent enough as an industry. And I know I face that problem here and have faced that problem here. We're not diligent enough about using high quality recips. Let me give you an example. I know personally that sometimes I want to keep up with the Joneses too much. I hear that so-and-so, and this goes back to not focusing on what people, other people do, but you say, oh, so I heard so-and-so put in 150 embryos. And boy, if I don't put in at least you know this many, I'm going to be behind. So you'll go out and sack up every cow or pick every cow anywhere you can find to put embryos in. We've said it here. I've heard other people say, oh, that cat, that calf is skinny because he was on a bad recip. The ultimate goal really should be to never, ever say that. Because when you consider that these recips are carrying what should be your most valuable calves, um, if you're flushing that cow and you're investing all of that, uh, all those resources into that calf, these cows are carrying your highest quality and what should be your most profitable and genetically advanced calves that you will have born on your place. So here I'm really trying to shift the dynamic and the way I think about my recips of, I need to be as diligent of recip selection and propagation of high quality recips as I am when I'm selecting donor cows, when I'm selecting and trying to raise the next generation of AI cows and advancing my herd. I need to use the same thought process and the same aggressive culling uh, theory on my recips as I do with the rest of the herd. And how do we do that? Well, how do we get more recips? And what are the different situations? I've done it every which way, and I'm going to tell you the pros and cons of each. But before we get into that, I want to just revisit that we need to aggressively cull our recips and use the highest quality cattle available. So I'm of the firm belief that if we're going to get 70% embryo conception rate, which I think we could all agree is pretty solid, you're going to have about 80% of your cows take eggs 80% of the time. So that's going to give you about 64 calves out of 100, right? So 0.8 times 0.8 is 0.64 you're going to get 64% conception rate on 80% of your cows. And then you're going to have 20% of your cows that only take eggs about 20% of the time. And that's going to bring you to 0.2 times 0.2. It's going to bring you to uh, 0.04. So that's giving you about 68%. Pretty solid day at the office. Now, why do I say that? I've been running uh, Cattle Max software for the last seven or eight years, so I'm able to track the results and the response to embryos on every cow in the place. You're going to have cows that take embryos literally every time. Actually, we had a cow here. She was uh, 601, not to be confused with 601S, my donor, but 601. And uh, she was a really ugly recip that had an awesome bag. She had big old clown stabbers that went out past her ears. And that cow took eggs five, six years in a row. There's other cows that we had that went one for four, one for five. Those are the kind of cows that we need to quickly identify and eliminate from the herd. They need to go live somewhere else. So keep that in mind as we talk about these different options on how to find, propagate, and develop our recip herd. 
So one of the first ways that I uh, kind of cultivated some recips is probably the easiest way to go about it. And several years ago, back when I had 40 cows or so, I had about 15 recips. Most of them were ones I raised. They weren't really all that great. And I said, hey, I need to transfer some more embryos. So I went out and I bought 40 open cows. Now, in California, open cows are easy to find in the spring. Most of these commercial producers raise fall calving cows. So about March, April, these guys are preg checking their cows. And uh, most of these guys are eliminating every open cow from their herd. And rightfully so. A lot of these guys out here actually eliminate any cow that didn't wean a calf. So she lost her calf, she's gone. They'll uh, expect a paycheck from every animal in the place, whether you bring a calf to the corral or you don't. So open dry cows are pretty easy to find. So I buy 40 open dry cows from a reputable firm out here that has really nice commercial cows. I sorted them on age. I sorted them on what they looked like. Me personally, in terms of recips, very similar to what I like everything else. I like stout pin cattle that are big footed and sound. They have some body capacity, but I like them pretty stout, not tall, but wide because sometimes we run into a little bit of birth weight. Um, a lot of people like purebred Angus cows for recips. Those work fine. Uh, I actually prefer maybe something with a little semi in it, maybe a shot of mane, just to kind of beef them up just a little bit. Personal preference goes back to what you like, buy what you like. So I buy these 40 cows. They don't have calves on their side. And we put in 40, I think I culled five of them that were pretty wild. So down to 35 and we put some embryos in. We come back to preg check them and we're running 45% conception rate. And I got kicked right in the mouth. So my embryologist explains to me that when a cow is not nursing a calf, her metabolism gets wonky. And I don't really understand or, or we'll have to get someone else on here to explain this, but something to do with their cholesterol levels or something like that in their system where they're not going to take embryos as well as a cow with a calf on her side. It's just how it is. Open dry cows are not going to take embryos like a cow nursing a calf. I know a uh, guy that does this on big volumes of cows. He'll buy potloads of cows in and put embryos in them and ship the open ones afterwards. And he is running 40 to 50% on his embryo conception rate. So if you're going to do this, very similar to what we talked about earlier, yes, make sure you buy them from reputable operations. You should probably ultrasound those cattle or have them palpated before you get into this. Uh, I like to give them a loot shot too. But realistically 50% would be doing pretty good on open dry cows uh, in my experience. So in my experience, you're not going to get a whole heck of a, maybe you might touch 55%, but you're not going to get those cows that take embryos as good as you would as cows that have calves on their side. The other option that you could do is buy in or get in some bred cows that have commercial calves on their side and then you're going to calve those cows out they're going to have commercial calves on their side you're going to put embryos in those cows and you're going to get a little bit better response that way and the reason why like we just talked their cows metabolism is right they're nursing a calf things are good in the world but are you going to achieve that 70 75 percent conception rate likely not why 
those cows are going to be adjusting to your environment. So I've done this option before too. And what's going to happen is those cattle are not used to your system. They're not used to the feed that you're giving them or the forage. Even if you're only getting them from down the road or an hour away, they're going to have an adjustment period, whether they're coming from close by or, or far, far away like Montana or something. So there's going to be an adjustment period to those cows and there's going to be a stress related to that. So it takes these cows, it seems like normally a year to a year and a half to really get comfortable in your program, get used to the things that you're doing, used to the way you handle them, used to the forage availability, the terrain, where the water trough is, where they got to go to the corral, all those things. So both of these, whether you're buying in dry cows or buying in bred cows, you're not going to probably have just the elite results due to the unique set of circumstances of having new cattle come in intermingling with your other stuff and trying to adjust to your program. Now, both of these uh, instances where I did this, there was an adjustment period. And the first time I got bred cows in and calved them, I also just got kicked straight in the mouth. But it didn't really have anything to do with the cows. It was the same group of cows. So I didn't the reason why it didn't work for me the first time I did it was I did not <clears throat> have those cattle on the correct nutrition plane. I made an error on how good I thought my forage quality was. It was uh, about November, December. We had early rains that year. For those that are unaware, our grass season is normally from the end of November through May. So we had early rains. We had some nice green carpet out there. I said, those cows with a protein tub, they're going to get along fine out there. I was wrong. I got about a 25% conception rate on that group of cows. Felt like that was the, that was the day I talk about where I wanted to cry. Um, and we transferred a pile of embryos those couple of weeks. So regardless of your cow quality, you still have to have the other options. You still have to do the other things right in terms of nutrition and mineral. If you don't do that right, you're dead in the water. The next year I brought... Uh, same type of cows and some of the ones from the year before because a lot of them got bull bred and I had the investment. So I said, I'm going to calve them out again and I'm going to put embryos in. Uh, we called some of the real problem cows and the next year we ran 65% uh, with a much better nutrition plane. So regardless, you have to do the little things right. The way we've pivoted and what we're doing now that I find to be the best results is that we are putting embryos in cattle we raised. So I've been a little bit disgusted with my results, uh, as you can tell with my open cows and, or my dry cows and then bred cows and buying stuff in. And about a year and a half ago, and I don't know why it took me so long, a light went off in my head. I said, look, kind of like what we just talked about earlier. I need to do a better job about developing recips, identifying good recips, and use the same level of diligence and selection pressure on my recip herd as I do on everything else that I do, because this isn't good enough. I'm not getting the results that I want. So I bought a uh, truckload of Simangus heifers. There were 60 on that load. And the first week, I sorted 10, off of, 10 of them off for just purely disposition and confirmation. I didn't like the way, I either didn't like the way they looked or I didn't like the way they acted. Loaded them back on the truck, sent those to town. 
I bred through those cows or those heifers, those virgin heifers. I AI'd through them, put a bull out behind them. We preg checked. I sorted off another five or 10 of them that were open and I got down to 40 and I calved those. I turned bulls out with them again, bred them back when we preg checked. There was a few more of them open or I didn't like the way their bags looked, whatever the case may be. They looked at me funny. They got on the truck. They went to town. And now what we've done here, before they ever get an opportunity to take an embryo, I have eliminated a lot of the problems that you would get from just buying cows in. Now, you're going to need some land to do it this way, but it doesn't mean you can't have strong and diligent selection pressure on your cattle, even if you're buying stuff in um, as three-year-olds or four-year-olds or even uh, two-year-old bred heifers. My point is, is before you get to the point where you're putting that embryo that if you're using conventional methods and unsexed semen, you're probably looking at a cost of $250 in embryo, $200 in embryo, plus your transfer fee, which depending on where you are, can range from 50 to 75 bucks. Before you invest that, plus your vaccine, everything else, running that cow for a year, before you make that capital investment in that cow, Let's double check and make sure she's not having problems. You know, maybe uh, maybe her pelvis isn't big enough. Maybe her bag isn't good enough. Maybe she's an idiot and tries to climb fences. Get rid of those cows. You don't need them around. Because those are the ones that are going to be problems. So by raising our own or being more diligent about our selection pressure, we're eliminating as many of the problems as possible, you're not going to get all of them, but you're eliminating as many of the problems as possible before you even give that cow an opportunity to screw you. Another couple things that are important to keep in mind on this topic. Number one, the fertility of these cattle. Cattle become less fertile as they grow older. So the most fertile time of that animal's life is as a virgin heifer. If you're raising your own or you have young cows and she cannot conceive AI or with a bull, she needs to go because she's going to be a problem down the road. Now, I'm as guilty as the next person when I have one that I think is a potential donor or a big time producer. Maybe she doesn't breed up on that first cycle AI or doesn't breed up early in the in the breeding cycle. I'm like, boy, that one looks like she can have that high rent steer. I'm going to keep trying her. We really should be shipping those, but we're, we're not, right? I'm not doing it here either. So. When it comes to your recips, though, being that they don't have the genetic potential that that, you know, that great looking cow does, there's no reason we need to keep her around. She needs to go live somewhere else. So be diligent. If they're not breeding up early in their life, we need to eliminate them from the herd. Also on that topic, generally speaking, I don't like to put embryos in wet twos. Those wet twos are still growing they haven't re reached a mature weight. Anyone that's ever tried to get wet twos bred back can attest that it's the, probably the most difficult age group of cattle to get bred. And a lot of times on these ones I'm developing as recips, I'm just turning a bull in with those wet twos and trying to keep them on track. So I like to wait until uh, they're three-year-olds before I try them with an embryo. Yeah, they're at their mature size in, um, their nutrition, they got some more weight on them, it seems. They're not working so hard. That things aren't as new to them. So normally I'll cab them as virgins. 
I'll get them bred back, take another year to eliminate all my problems. Now it's a long game. I realize this takes a lot of patience and time. But then as three-year-olds, that's when I start putting embryos in them. And I think it's also important that even if a cow's been good to you, you need to determine at what time in her life you think she's getting too old and also be aggressive culling your older cows before they present a problem, even if she's been doing good for you. Number one, as a gain age, they're going to be less fertile. Number two, their milking capability and their bag quality normally starts to decline. Maybe they're losing some teeth. And then also, you'll have a lot of embryologists, or I've had a lot of embryologists tell me that the older the cow gets, and those of you that breed a lot of your own cows will know this, the bigger and longer their track gets. So a younger cow is going to have a track that's a lot shorter. The uterus is going to be a lot smaller. I mean, mostly from less use and less calves. So the less those embryologists have to manipulate that uterus and uh, move things around in there to get that embryo transferred, the better results you're going to have. The less that they have to wrench around in there and manipulate that uterus and the shorter the track is and the cleaner that transfer is, the better results you're going to have. So you need to be diligent on the back end too, even if that cow has taken six out of seven embryos that you've tried her with and she's starting to get up there in age 10 or 11, um, even though she's been good to you historically, you probably need to think about sending her down the road unless she looks like she's really young or her track handles good. And also be diligent with your uh, technician of, hey, if this one doesn't feel right, even a little bit, we're going to do something else, right? If her CL isn't of high quality, if her uterus feels big and extended, Maybe her bag doesn't look good. We need to send them down the road. Speaking of bags, we kind of said it earlier. There should be no excuse for having uh, a poor milking resip on the place. Now, I got them. I try not to have them. Sometimes, like I said, we're trying to keep up with the Joneses and transfer embryos. But if a cow doesn't have a good bag and she's a resip and, again, has zero or very little genetic potential, right, they're commercial Angus, commercial Sim Angus cows, there's no reason we should be keeping those cattle around. Anecdotally, it seems like the cows that have really nice bags and really firm, like an ideal bag that's firm and tight, those are the ones that take embryos almost every time. I did a little research or just kind of kept track of cows with great bags that came through their chute when we're transferring embryos. Those ones take embryos almost every time. If you have kind of a a goat-teated cow or one with a loose bag come through, you're not going to have near the results, partially maybe because of its age. But there's something to be said with a cow that has a really nice bag that seems like they take embryos. I think it probably part part of it's they're younger. Maybe they're more fertile. And then a lot of it has to do probably with they're on the correct nutrition plane that their bag is not big. It's not small. It's just perfect and they're high, higher quality cattle. And we've shouted them out a couple times on this podcast, but Mitch Dakey, he likes to say that uh, if you put a good embryo in a low quality recip, you're going to get an average calf. But if you put a good embryo in a high quality recip, you can get a great calf. So be diligent, be aggressive about your selection on your recips, and I promise you it'll pay dividends. I've been all over the gamut. I've done it every which way, right and wrong, it seems like. The answer to me seems that we need to be aggressive about our recip selection. So 
keep track. And this goes back to a lot of other stuff that we've talked about on this podcast. Be diligent. Keep track of what you're doing. You know, if you find that the, there are certain cows that have a genetic uh, or they have the ability to take embryos all the time, those are the ones that you need to have around. And if you locate those ones that, hey, we've tried her three years now, she's only taken one embryo, she's not going to improve. She just doesn't have it in her. I had a, uh, a family out here that transfers like 15 embryos a year tell me that they put in 15 embryos and they got three or four pregnancies and they were going to roll those cows and try them again. That's something we should not be doing. In my opinion, we need to eliminate those cows. You need to get different cows. So in summary, again, a lot of this is anecdotal. A lot of this is experience related evidence of what does and doesn't work. I'd love feedback on this. Uh, This is more or less me rambling for 50 minutes about what we do here. But if you're going to be operating and running recips on your place as a recap, We are going to make sure that they have high quality nutrition and that they're on the upswing in terms of gain, right? A quarter to half a BCS a month. We're going to try to breed those cattle between a five and a six BCS. We're going to have a high quality mineral always available for those cattle year round. Let's not be cheap. There's so much stuff of this that is expensive. If you just look at the cost of semen, cost to make these embryos, it's substantial. The cost of a good mineral pales in comparison to the other money that we spend and throw at this stuff. Let's use uh, technicians and firms that are known for making high quality embryos. And then of utmost importance, and the thing that I'm trying to shore up around here mostly, is let's use high quality recip cows. Let's make sure whatever we're putting those embryos in, whatever those, those recips are reflective of the quality that we're trying to produce and within our own herds. Don't shortchange your recips. Be diligent about culling them. Don't give that recip a chance to screw you because if you do, she will bend you over a barrel and have her way with you. That's about all the information I have for you guys today. I thank you for your time. This is usually the point in time that uh, when I have a guest, I let them plug their sale or tell us more about their operation. But being that I'm flying solo today, I guess I'll shamelessly plug my own operation. For those of you that don't know, Simon Cattle is located in Central California. We uh, operate a cow-calf operation. We raise composite seed stock and show steers, a few breeding heifers here and there by accident, either that we run across or that we uh, raise by accident. We don't normally try to raise uh, breeding uh, show heifers, but sometimes we do. Every now and again, we'll make one by accident. Um, we trade some cattle. We got some great cooperators out here that we work with. And we have a couple sales coming up. We have one on October 23rd, primarily steers. And then uh, we have a bread heifer and bread cow sale coming up in December. We also sell a lot of cattle private treaties. So check us out, www.simon-cattle.com. Or we have a Facebook page, Simon Cattle. Just Google or search that in Facebook. Check us out on Facebook. Give us a call, text, whatever. Our information is on both those sites. You can give us a ring. As with everything, I've gotten a lot of phone calls, a lot of messages lately about this podcast and and people picking my brain or comparing ideas. And I love that. Even if you disagree with what we're saying here or you think you have a different or better way, I love those conversations because the same as most of you that are listening, I'm trying to be better in my program as well. So any sort of feedback, good or bad, 
I love those discussions. Bring it on uh, and let's talk about it. So as always, if there's anything you want to hear, send us a um, message, email at shootsidepodcast at gmail.com. A lot of people are sending me messages over Facebook. That's fine too. You, you know, either to me, Ferris, Simon, or to our podcast Facebook page, which is Shootside Podcast. Um, new episodes come out every week. If you like what you're hearing, please give us a like on uh, Facebook, but also give us that five-star review and subscribe on whatever preferred listening platform you're on. I appreciate everyone's support. This has been a fun uh, experience. And again, this episode, just kind of laying the groundwork. The plan is to continue to have different professionals talk about these different topics as we move towards breeding season. If you are having great results, give yourself a pat on the back. If you're not, hopefully this helped you a little bit and let you inside my mind on how I like to operate. And we'll continue to have people on here to talk about this kind of stuff so that we can all have those sky high conception rates that we're all looking for. Again, thank you. Until next week, uh, have a good day. Have a good week. We'll talk to you guys next time.